Welcome to the Teachers Unify podcast. I'm Sarah Lerner. On this episode, we'll hear from Natalie Niemeyer, a survivor from the Des Moines East High School shooting in March 2022. She speaks about how having educator parents shaped her formative years, which led her to education, her experience from the shooting, being a new mom amidst the loss of her parents, guiding her journalism students through covering a tragedy, and navigating through caring for her own mental health. So we are joined by Natalie Niemeyer, who is a teacher at East High School in Des Moines, Iowa. Just before we started recording, I found out that we are also sorority sisters, which is super cute. Natalie teaches journalism, is the yearbook advisor, and was present the day of the shooting at her school in 2022. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. It's good to connect with you when we've met multiple times, but not really had the opportunity to do this. This is true. And it's, you know, it's like we were saying before, the journalism world, especially at the high school level is so, so small. And you run into the same people over and over again. Yeah. And you don't realize outside of journalism, how many like other ways you are connected we're both yearbook advisors, both in this shitty gun violence club, and we're sorority sisters. So it's yeah. like almost cool trifecta. Agreed. <laughs> or at least two thirds of the trifecta. Yeah. Yeah. So I always like to start with finding out more about the guests. Tell me about you, your family, where you grew up, your childhood, college. Um, so I am from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I am the child of two educators, very proudly. Um, I grew up with um, my siblings kind of out of the house. I'm the youngest of four, but I'm the youngest by eight years. So um, I was kind of one of those kids that got drug around to all the events with my siblings and my teacher parents. And I just think like through that, I realized how great of a profession teaching is. I constantly shared my parents with hundreds of other kids. Um, and I just felt that was really special. I also coached softball. I played softball my whole life and basketball, but I coached softball with my dad during college. And um, that just reaffirmed that I wanted to become a teacher. So um, I had a great childhood and I want my daughter to have the same childhood that I did kind of growing up at a school. Um, I went to college at, I graduated from the University of Iowa in 2011 Um, where I studied English education and have a journalism endorsement. Uh, While I was there, I worked for the Daily Iowan, the the student newspaper there. After college, um, I went straight to Des Moines East High School, and I never looked back. I got offered um, the job around March of my senior year when I was student teaching. I immediately fell in love with the school the people I met there, the students that I ran into on the day of my interview. Uh, You know, I was like wearing a suit and high heels and I was lost, you know, like remember when we did that for interviews and uh, this kid was like, ma'am, are you lost? And I was like, yes, can you please help me find the main office? And he walked me down there and I was like, right when I walked in, the vibes were perfect and exactly what I was looking for. So I've been blessed to have been at East 
for uh, the last 13 years. I always knew I wanted to live in Des Moines. So I, I purposely looked for jobs here. And then I luckily met my husband um, at a bar one night on St. Patrick's Day. Very romantic. And uh, we've been together ever since 2013. Been married for five years. We have an awesome daughter named Olivia, who is a little over a year and a half. So uh, yeah, that's kind of the rundown of my life and my free time, which is never. I like to do yoga and go shopping and, you know, all the things that moms like to do before they become moms, I guess. I felt so much of that. (laughs) My mom was a substitute teacher when my brother and I were little. She went to school, um, got her degree in elementary ed and specialized in ESOL, ESL when she was there, but ESOL now, and just liked the freedom of subbing and working when she wanted to. And, you know, as a mom, that sounds great. Yeah. But it was cool and weird. Like when she would sub for us, I've been teaching for 22 years. My kids are 18 and almost 15. So my kids have grown up in schools, but they've only gone to school with me as long as I've been teaching at Stoneman Douglas, which was super weird because at my other two schools, they were babies and moving up through elementary school. Yeah. So I never had like that experience until they were already teenagers and <laughs> kind of yeah. grown. Parents both and my brother, because um, my siblings are so much older than me. Uh, my parents and my brother worked at my high school. Oh, that's <laughs> my so dad, cool. Um, my dad's a Hall of Fame coach. Um, he was a hall of fame coach and he coached both the sports I played. Um, um, I was just one big family affair. (laughs) That's awesome. That is really, really awesome. It was cool. I tell my students now, I'm like, my parents were at prom and they were like (laughs) seeing me waving at me and they're like, Oh my God, but it was great. I wouldn't change a single thing about it. So I chaperone prom every year because homecoming is gross and I'd rather do prom. Yes. And so this year, my son is a senior. So I, you know, I'm like, David, you know, I'm chaperoning prom. I know, mom. Okay. <laughs> and like, you know, all of my work friends and we're going to have to take a picture together. And he just like rolls his eyes and walks away. He's but like, you, you're you can't take this cool away teachers. from me. Uh, duh. Like, I am one of the cool teachers. Yeah. So it's like. <laughs> I don't know. He should wear it like with a badge of honor. He does. Like, he does. Everyone loves my mom. Like, you know, that's yeah. No, he does. And I teach all of his friends and, yes. you know, kids I've known through him for all of these years. And it's, it's a cool experience. So I can't imagine like being the kid and having your parents there. Cause I didn't have that in high school, but it sounds like you had a pretty wild ride. Yeah. I mean, it was, I never knew anything. I didn't else. And my best friend also, her parents were teachers at our school. That's so cool. Which is weird. Um, But it was just, I, yeah, it was just so amazing. And they set such a good example of like, you know, how to be great parents and be good at your job as well. And my parents both recently passed away. Um, oh, I'm sorry. So thank you. Yeah. They passed away in 2022. It was just awful. 
And at their funerals, so many people, you know, came up to me and told me stories about them. I didn't even know. And um, like things like my dad had like bought cleats for one of the girls on our team because her parents were going through a divorce and her dad was like awful and wasn't contributing financially. And, you know, and I'm like, of course my dad did that. It just, you know, it, it was good to hear all that. And sometimes like, I would forget that, like I shared my parents with hundreds, thousands of other teenagers and what a blessing that was, especially now that they're gone. Um, yeah. to have all these people who also can say that they made a difference in their life. So. Well, that's just it. It's so nice to know, like as the teacher, when you see your students later in life that you made such a difference, but to be able to share those stories with their children and, you know, as the child, you get to learn so much more about your parents that you didn't know. Like it just adds another level. And I, I imagine as hard as it was to lose them, it was also really cool to learn so much more about them and have like extra proof of how awesome they were. Yeah. My dad was really larger than life. You should Google him after this. (laughs) I'm going to. Yeah. He's a hall of fame coach. Just, I mean, they like had an obituary for him and the paper that was like written by a sports writer. Wow. I mean, it, it wasn't like his official obituary. I wrote that, but, um, obviously, <laughs> but, um, you know, they, he was just larger than life. So it was, you know, my mom played more of a supporting role to him. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, I was just, it's been, um, it's been a, a tough time dealing with it, but the little like nuggets that keep coming from people about them um, is just very comforting. Clearly, I, I didn't know that you lost both of your parents in 2022, but you also faced a shooting at your school in 2022. Yeah. So I know that one person was killed and two were injured in the shooting outside of East High School. What was that experience like for you? Like, what was your day like? Um, It's so weird to think about because first of all, like, you know, you never think it's going to happen at your school. And the day that it happens, it was a two hour delay because here, you know, we get random snow all the time and it was March and we had a two hour delay. And so it was just a weird day to begin with because those days just seemed to like take forever. And I just remember getting to school and like attendance wasn't great because of the weather and which was probably a blessing um, that attendance was down, but it was eighth period. So we, I had an intro to journalism class and, you know, we're into March. So my classes are semester. So I get new students in those intro classes at semester. So we had gotten to know each other pretty well. It was a great group. It was starting to warm up a little bit. So I remember opening my window. I have like windows that open out so they don't open much. Um, And I opened the window because it was eighth period. It was getting warmer. I was pregnant, um, like seven months pregnant. And I was wearing a mask (laughs) because I didn't want to get COVID. And so any opportunity I had, I would open my windows. Okay. So windows are open. It's eighth period. We heard what we now know were shots, but it really sounded like fireworks. And I I listened to your, your story and you said the same thing. And it's just so crazy because my students were like, what is that? And I was like, oh, it had to be fireworks. And I, I literally said to them how immature, who is lighting off fireworks in the parking lot? This is ridiculous, right? 
so this was like last period of the day, the parking lot, a lot of seniors and upperclassmen don't have an eighth period. I don't know if it's like that for you guys. So the parking lot is just full of kids, just like hanging out, sitting in their cars, hanging out with friends, um, which turns out that was the worst possible place to be at this time. Because um, like you mentioned, the shooting happened outside of our school, not even in the parking lot. We have like a an intersection that kind of wraps around the school and the shooting started on one end of the building and like wrapped around uh, the building. So about not even a minute after we heard what I thought were fireworks, we went on lockdown. Going on lockdown is not unusual for us. We live in a pretty densely populated area um, and they'll put us on lockdown for a domestic dispute in the area where maybe someone has reported seeing a gun. So, you know, it's not something we get overly worked up about when we go on lockdown because they really do it frequently, which I appreciate. But I could just tell this time by my admin's voice that like something was up. Um, And so we went into lockdown, then the kids started connecting the dots. Like we heard this outside, there are people in the parking lot, we heard there's a shooter. And so I think something that you mentioned in your story was like, people on the outside knew more than I knew. So I'm sitting there because, I mean, our admin team can't tell us anything because they're literally outside. We don't have... Uh, police officers on campus. We don't have school resource officers. Our students made a push to get rid of SROs um, back in 2020. And our school district was receptive to that student feedback. So we don't have anyone on campus anyway, not for you. It even really mattered as you know. Um, So we had, um, so I was in my room safe with my students on lockdown, never came out until there was the all clear So, you know, I was so lucky to never experience any of the trauma that my coworkers, my students experience. So my classroom looks into a courtyard, so I couldn't see anything. I heard stuff, heard the sirens, couldn't, didn't see anything. My coworkers whose classrooms face outward, um, one of them literally ran outside because she saw students get shot because the shooting just happened. It was a drive-by bam, 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 all the way around, just kept going Two two cars, I think. Um, so she watched kids drop and she ran outside, which I don't know why I would have been terrified, but she did it. So we had teachers running out, administrators, campus monitors running out, and they were the first responders. And two girls were critically wounded. And then another, and they were currently enrolled as students. The teenage boy who was killed From what I heard from administrators, he was already gone by the time they got out to him, but they um, kind of like held him and then like held the, one of the girls was next to the boy outside and they kind of held her. She was shot in the head and she like, didn't really realize it is what I heard from the people who were out there. And the thing that is really upsetting is that, you know, these people who were running out there, they didn't know if the shooters were going to circle back again. So you have these administrators and these campus monitors and these teachers who are out there just praying that the shooters don't come back for another round. Because what had happened is they came through and like they found their target and then it was like the second round that the shooting happened. And so the admit, like, what are you supposed to do? 
you have no choice. You go out there and you see kids who need help and what, what you can't leave them there. So, I mean, these people came back into the building covered in blood. We, they kept us in our rooms. Again, I had no idea the severity of the situation. Um, the school, you know, there was never a threat within the building. They did a great job of locking us down. Um, and then we got the all clear and apparently the police uh, were about to do a shift change right when the 911 calls came in. And so we had double the amount of people responding. And I, I have heard that that is what they credit to finding the shooter so quickly and having an idea of who it might be. But the student that was killed was the target. He was targeted ahead of time. It was gang related. I think there's 10 teenage boys that were charged. They Most of them have been sentenced. I think all of them have been sentenced. One of them, I think, is trying to take back his, his guilty plea I read recently. But the, I mean, it was just shock, you know, just coming down into the, they had us all meet in the cafeteria. Some of the people that were there had blood on their shoes. They were out there. They, everyone was just like in complete and utter shock. Cause again, you just never think it's going to happen. Right. My across the hall neighbor, I had no idea that she had run outside. So she ran out and there was the other victim in a car. So she was in the car when she was shot and she was sitting and the bullet like went through her head and like through the head into the headrest. And her friend like got out of the car and was screaming for help. My coworker got in the car and held her steady and like talked to her until the paramedics came. So very like traumatic for the students who were sitting in the parking lot, just hanging out with their friends during eighth period and very traumatic for, you know, the students who were sitting in cars and the, uh, the administrators, the teachers, and just the students who heard the shots, like, you know, I, it's like, I don't even remember like what I said to them to keep them calm, but I always just remember telling them that they were safe, that we weren't going to go anywhere until we were told what was going on and that there were no threats in the building. And, um, that's just all you can do is just try to assure them. And I did feel safe. 100%. I felt that they had it under control and I felt if it wasn't under control that we would have had updates. They just had no updates to give us. I don't even know where to start with all of this. The fact that your coworkers ran out as first responders is certainly a testament to what we do as educators. Like your gut instinct is to be a helper and, you know, keep the kids safe and all of that. But to run out not knowing if it was over and potentially putting your life at risk is admirable and crazy. Yeah, I agree. To have that many police. And I certainly know what that's like. I think every single police agency in Broward County, which is one of the largest areas in Florida, every single police officer on shift, off shift, everyone descended upon our community. So to have twice as many police officers for you, you know, again, Des Moines isn't this like little small town. That's awesome. And that they were able to to find everything and, and resolve it so quickly. Did any of your students know the victim or the two students who were injured? 
Um, so the, the victim, the one, the student who was killed, he had not been at role, enrolled at East since I feel like earlier in the semester. So he was not currently an East student. I truly believe that the violence was going to find him, whether he was at the gas station down the street or whether he was at his home. I think he just happened to be on campus at East at the time. And so, um, that's just how it happens. I did not know any of the students. A couple of my students maybe had classes with the girls. We did, as a team of journalists, ended up interviewing one of them um, about her experience. And um, I think, you know, my students did a really good job of building trust uh, with her before that interview happened. The other student was still um, not quite in a place in her recovery uh, to go through with an interview. But my students, I wouldn't say any of them reported to me that they were close with any of the victims, but a lot of my students witnessed it. They were in the parking lot in their cars. I think a couple of them maybe even like testified or had to give statements, but they for sure saw them get shot. Wow. Oh my God. Like I have so many questions because again, your situation and my situation, although different, are similar because I had to make that yearbook and you had to make that yearbook. Yeah. And we, over the next three years, had students on campus who were in that building and on campus that day. Did those two girls graduate? Like what grade were they in when it happened? Do you know? I really think one of them transferred, um, maybe had a unique family situation where like family did have family living like in another place. So um, I think maybe she ended this year virtually because we have a virtual campus. And then I, I think that she maybe transferred to like a smaller school, like near where family lived. So I'm, I don't think she graduated from East. And then the other students, I really don't know. I feel like maybe her injuries were um, pretty severe. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm not sure like what her situation is um, just because my students weren't able to talk to her. And so I wasn't, you know, people like made t-shirts for them and had GoFundMes for them. And then it's kind of like maybe people started to give some privacy um, to their situations So yeah, I don't know where, what the status is of those students now. So what was it like for you and your staff to finish that yearbook? So the yearbook was finished. Totally done? Yep. Our yearbook is due before spring break and we were two days out of spring break. So are you, you're a spring, you're a spring delivery? Yep. Okay. I thought the yearbook was done. We had literally sent it probably earlier that week. Okay. Um, And so the yearbook was done, which uh, we ended up being out of school for probably two weeks as a result. Um, And so I'm not sure what our, what things would have looked like um, if, you know, if we hadn't have been done, but we were done. Like our deadline, I think was probably the I don't know, the 11th. And we always finish like a couple of days early just because I'm very uh, hyper type A. And yeah, it was done. The book was finished. Our deadline, we have like two big final deadlines. Mm -hmm. So our first final deadline is also in March. 
before spring break. And then we have our like final, final deadline in April, which is when we have to like have all of the proofs returned. Mm -hmm. So, you know, without confusing everyone listening, are you like an online design school? Like, do you do it that way or are you? So we're with Herf Jones and we use e-design, which is, you know, the online version of InDesign. Okay. So we use InDesign. So I get printed proofs, which is why I have that second final deadline. So in mid-February, we were like three weeks out from our first final deadline. And I was working on a spread when the fire alarm went off. Yeah. I saw I, I, um, cause you're in your English kids were taking the test. Yeah. Yeah, I, Aww, yep, I, listen. I listened to that. Um, <laughs> if it had happened, you know, in early March, like yours did, I still would have had those weeks to fix and change because we don't have the finality of e-design or online design. Right. But our publisher forgave all of our deadlines. Oh, yeah. They turned that book around in like 30 seconds. Yep. We ordered extra copies and, oh my God, the stuff that we added to the book. Like, honestly, after pages two, three, which was our opening divider, everything else changed. And we went from being 429 pages to 452, which is huge, but my school is huge. And, you know, we had other stuff to put in. So I didn't know if you had added things in from the time that you were off and things that the students had done and profiles of the victims and, you know, like the things that we ended up doing, but your book was already done. So you didn't have to. So we, um, and at that point, um, you know, those decisions would have had to have been made like so soon and the victim. So the, the student who was killed was not currently enrolled and the two girls we were kind of told like give the you know give these people space so like for the yearbook you know in in order to still get it back that year and it was literally submitted what we did was cover it intensely in our newspaper after the shooting I mean the outpouring of support is insane you know that it is overwhelming People, like you said, your phone's blowing up. People you haven't heard from in years are texting you. So like there was this saying that people started using the day of that was like Scarlet Strawn because that's our, and you guys know you have the same thing, like MSD Strawn, right? So we, we had that as kind of like the theme of that issue. And we made the cover, people like did wear red day. So like all these other schools, people wore red. And so we, we grabbed those photos from social media. We put them on the cover. We um, did like a timeline of the day of the shooting. We did some Scarlet Strong coverage. We did a and a with one of the victims. So we, we definitely centered our next newspaper around that. And then there was, of course, in the senior issue, you know, a lot of reflection from students. And then our principal, who was, I mean, she hadn't even been our principal for like four months when the shooting happened. She wanted to start a new tradition the week and like the week before spring break. So the one year anniversary of the shooting last year, she wanted to do Scarlet Strong Week. And it's like a celebration of community. Um, It's like a full week of events that are happening at night. 
happening in the community, choir concerts, um, just all the all the things that like make our community special are showcased during that time. So we have we've kind of like held on to that Scarlet Strong. I mean, our school has a bad reputation. It always has. Um, and so this is just one more thing that, um, you know, really puts a hole in, in that and our reputation and, and, you know, allows people to continue to say things about our school and our community. And so any, any chance that we can take to, you know, celebrate our students and our community, um, we do it. And I think our principal has done a really good job with that. That's great. We don't do a lead up like that. We have, so the principal at the time kind of modeled it after, Um, what Columbine had done, where Columbine had the day off and it was like a day of service, like schools closed and students and faculty community, like everybody came together for a day of service because ours happened on Valentine's Day. Ours was named the day of service and love. And there are on-campus projects and off-campus and then community. And then there's a vigil at night. And We have covered that in the yearbook every year, and I don't advise the newspaper, but um, Melissa Falkowski, who advises the newspaper, she covered like the following issue after the shooting while they were hiding in the closet in her room. Like they were talking about like they just scrapped the issue and it was like almost ready to go to print. Yeah. And they scrapped the whole They scrapped the whole thing and it just became an in memoriam. And they were working on that at the same time that we were overhauling and trying to finish the book. So we were able to share resources to cover everything. And clearly their stories were longer and more in depth than what we would put in the yearbook. But we have covered, and I know they have as well, in the book, we have covered the day of service and an in memoriam, those two spreads we've had in the book every year and we'll have it again this year. Last year for the five-year mark, we added in a third spread. And then we also did like a supplemental like little magazine wow. where we did a little featurette on each of the 17 victims, a smaller version of what we had done in the 2018 yearbook. Plus we included, I guess like a Q&A or like a where are they now for some of the students who were on campus that day, you know, of varying grades and things that we had done around campus and some teachers who wanted to share their feelings and reflections. And I think the the insert was like 12 pages. Um, and I designed it because I, I want, I knew what I wanted it to look like. And, you know, as advisors, we let the kids do it. Like we advise the students, but I knew what I wanted this to be. So I did it. One of the victim's parents, moms is, on our school board. And she reached out to me and just thanked me for not only the coverage that we have done every year, but also this extra supplemental piece. And by the time this airs, it will be around the two-year mark for you. Mm -hmm. And I assume, I hope that, you know, you are covering it 
in the book, even though it's around your final deadline and in the newspaper. And like, I think what people outside of journalism don't get is like, it's a history book. Like this yearbook is a history book. And if we don't cover it, it's almost like it didn't happen. Right. And, you know, it's so important, not just for like posterity and the record keeping, but also like for the kids, like this is teaching them how to handle and cover sensitive topics. Yep. Like if they're planning to go into journalism or public policy or any kind of like outward facing role, it's important to understand how to talk to people who have been through something sad or traumatic hopefully not gun violence related, but, you know, really anything. And people always knock teenagers and like, what do they know? They're on their phones all the time, blah, blah, blah. But that's how March for Our Lives started. Yeah. And that's how these kids are communicating and working on multimedia pieces and sharing things on social media and in their school publications to get the news out there. Because just like happened with me, happened with you, all of my information came in from the outside. And if we didn't have those outlets and those people who were sharing that information, we would have been more in the dark than we were. And much like with you, and I know you know this, but like we had no information coming from administration. We couldn't. They were trying to get a handle on the situation and again, different circumstances, but still, you know, it's like, you want to know what's happening. You're locked in your classroom. You can't fault admin for not telling you anything. And you're so thankful for these lifelines that you have on the outside who can tell you the things that you want to know, need to know, maybe some things that you didn't really want to know. We are in effect raising this generation of journalists. Yeah. I'm glad that you, even though it wasn't, you weren't able to put it in the 22 book, you know, you were able to cover it in the newspaper and give voice to those stories and talk to one of the students who were injured. What a, a heavy yet valuable experience for your kids the ones who took part in that interview, they would probably, they're in college now, you know, yeah. but they would say that it was the most impactful and they were so nervous and they were so prepared. And um, it was just, you know, such, they took an experience that was very traumatic and turned it into a learning experience, which not everyone would have the, you know, the mental capacity to do mm -hmm. that, the emotional Absolutely. capacity. And, and they did. And after going through everything yourself, you had to read those stories yeah. and proof that issue before it went to print. Yeah. Just like I did with all of our stuff. And I waited until the very, very last minute before I had to submit those pages. Yeah. And I waited until I was alone in my classroom because although I have cried in front of my students more times than I care to admit, yeah. I didn't want them to see me get upset over these stories, but that was heavy and that was hard. So yeah. I, I applaud you for teaching your kids how to do this stuff and making sure they were prepared. I, mean, I didn't know how to do it. And you didn't either. Girl, I had no idea. Crazy. Yeah. It's like, it's like you have two choices. Mm -hmm. You let your kids 
go and become hermit crabs for three weeks while this whole shit storm is brewing and there's rumors and media coverage and just all this stuff. So you, you let them do that. Or you say, okay, like we are the ones that like have the inside scoop. We're the ones that can set the record straight. We can talk to these students. We have access that other people don't have. So like, and I, I pitched, that's what I said to my editors. I said, you guys have a choice. Like you can either, you know, not do this or you can go for it. And they're like, We're, we want to go for it. And I said, I think that's the right choice. And they, you know, they, they knocked it out of the park for the first time ever. Our school won the um, IHSPA all Iowa news team of the year. Wow. Um, and I, it, it is because of their coverage of that event. So they really took a traumatic situation and turned it into a situation where they could learn and grow and put themselves in situations where they probably never thought they would be. Um, and I was super proud of them for that. That is outstanding. Yeah. After everything here, I told the kids, and I know Melissa did the same with newspaper, like, this is our story to tell. Yeah. Like, these outside media outlets are going to tell their version of the story. Yeah. But we were here, and we lived it, and while it happened to us, it doesn't define us. But it was so, so important for them to share those stories and get all of that out there because they wanted to do it on their terms. Yeah. That's, you know, what, you know, how powerful Mm -hmm. are our student voices, you know, sometimes I don't think they always see it that way. I feel like I'm writing for my school newspaper. I work on the yearbook, but it's like, I think situations like this really show them that they have the skill set to write these articles and inform people about information that they want and need to know. And, and I really think that this was such a moment of growth for my students. Um, it was amazing to like watch them in this situation and like see them grow and see them struggle and, you know, all the things that are just different with a story that's this important because they'd never, nothing else had ever been this important. And I hope they never have to cover anything like that ever again. Yeah. What sort of lockdown or active shooter training did you all have prior to the incident? I mean, we do lockdown drills once a month. So um, we'll practice internal, external admin campus monitors will come around and like make sure your door is secure. So they like come in and check. Um, During these drills, we show students like a presentation about like different situations we might find ourselves in and like what to do in the situation, what their options are. And we did that before this happens, but I feel like they, I don't know, maybe are happening more now, but I definitely, you know, we do spend the time talking about what we do, but it's also like when it's really happening, you know, like there's so many different circumstances, like is the person in your hallway are they, your school's huge. My school's huge. Are they on the other side of the building? It's just, they're so, and it's just like, it's just hard to know what the circumstance is, what the communication would be like. It's just, it's terrifying. You know, there are too many unknowns and it doesn't matter how many times you practice it when it's real, 
it is what it is. It's mm-hmm. like when you're like first starting out teaching. And I remember I got um, the first day of school by Harry Wong. And they had us like, they insisted we read this book. But everything in the book was about like the ideal school and the ideal classroom. And it doesn't exist. Like- okay, so, exactly. So, you know, you can practice these drills But in reality, when it all comes down to it and you're faced with that fight or flight response and, you know, run, duck and hide, you just have to make the right decisions. Having this training, of course, will help, but there is no ideal situation, you know, when you're faced with this. During the lockdown, the day of the shooting, I felt completely safe. I knew that I had my kids secured in my room. I knew the threat was outside. So, and, and the kids, because we do lockdown drills so frequently, like they weren't freaking out except, you know, they heard things going on outside. So like, and like I said, we go into lockdown frequently because the neighborhood that our school is in. So I do appreciate that kids are used to that. And so like, there was no like immediate panic, which I felt helped me keep everybody calm in the room. What kind of resources were made available for faculty and staff and students following the shooting? And then how long did all of it last? So I would say uh, the next day, our principal, who was a first responder, she sent us an email and let us know that if we needed to stay home, obviously there was no school. She said, if you need to stay home, stay home. If you need to nap all day, nap all day. If you need to come to school and be with teachers and staff, that's what you should do. So it was very much like, we're not going to tell you how you need to deal with this. And I think that was like, maybe like two days of that, where they were like, just do whatever you need to do. And then they brought us when they brought us back, it was just I think the kit. So like, I don't know, it was a couple days before spring break, maybe like the week before spring break. Because we came back a couple of days like without students and we had like small group therapy sessions kind of. Um, We had like a large group. I don't want to say therapy because like that's too intimate to do in like a large group setting. But we had we had professionals come in and kind of like talk to us about how to like deal with feelings that we were having. Um, We had therapists come in and then they started inviting students back into the building during certain hours where they could come and participate in some of these these things that we were having. Like they had like Art Force Iowa come in who they do like art therapy. And then of course they offered like individual therapy and like crisis team for people who were maybe like first responders. And I know that the people who were first responders, I feel like they were out of the building maybe a couple of days and they were like doing like more intensive therapy. Cause like, you know, their experience was completely different than my experience. And so I think they understood there was not going to be a one size fits all to how, um, how this worked. And, you know, I had a, a coworker in my hallway who saw the shooting happen and not the one who ran outside, but a different one. And she like locked herself in her room for like, I'd, I'd text her and be like, Hey, do you want to go grab lunch? Nope. I'm going to just stay in here. 
Um, so, you know, I think our administrators kind of understood that everyone's going to deal with this differently. And they kind of gave us and the district was very supportive. They gave us kind of the time and the space that was needed. They asked for feedback about how we should bring students back. Um, and I think that they had, I think there, isn't there like a team of people that like show up at your school when things like this happen and they like offer advice. I feel like maybe there was something like that, like people, you know, maybe even people from your community who offered advice to our administrators and our district team. You know, I felt that the time that we had off was the appropriate amount of time because then spring break was looped in with that. I think students were happy to get back to school. I think they felt safe when they got back. We did have a police presence, I think, for a couple of weeks after we had public safety was, you know, there. So I feel that, you know, they did provide a lot of support for people who are looking for individual support or even in those group settings for us as staff. Are there still those resources on campus? Because I imagine, I mean, not all of the kids who were there that day have graduated yet. Yeah, they would be uh, my students. I know I have one senior right now who was in her car and like saw it. But yeah, there are current seniors who feel like we're impacted pretty heavily. And you know, we do have counselors, but like the in the, you know, the grief crisis team is not in the building regularly. I think it would be made available to students if they would go to a counselor and express concern about about this and then want support. So I, I don't think these people are in the building daily, but I think the resources exist for students if they're looking for them. But as you and I both know, like we don't have enough mental health support. I mean, regardless of even my freshmen who weren't here, like, uh, I mean, that's a joke, honestly. What do you think that teachers and school staff can do to use their voices in times of tragedy, like school and community gun violence? Because your situation was kind of a convergence of the two. Like it was a community situation that took place immediately outside and then on your school campus. So Mm -hmm. what's your take on that? Like what can teachers and school staff do? First of all, I think what you're doing is awesome. I mean, you've written books. I saw clips of you on TV, (laughs) um, using your voice, doing this podcast, reaching out to people who have similar experiences to you. So I think what you're doing is probably like the example for real. Well, thank you. I just, I tend to be an outspoken person just in general, um, especially politically. And, you know, every time after the Perry shooting, they would run these articles in our, in the Des Moines Register, like principal, the principal at Perry was such a hero. And it's like, yeah, but like, he shouldn't have been expected to be a hero. You know, and so right. I, those are things that I will share to my own social media, talk with my students about them, encourage my students to have their voices heard, um, encourage my students to write about what happened at East. I have a student who was very triggered, a freshman who was very triggered by the shooting at Perry, you know, understandably, and she's going to, she's writing about it for this issue of our school newspaper. So I think the best thing that, that teachers can do is within their capacity, do whatever they can to share their experiences and not be afraid to, 
you know, speak the truth of, of how they feel about these situations. I feel like in Iowa, you know, we just, I don't know how it is for you guys, but our education system is just getting absolutely gutted by our state government and really feel like there's no, that we have no voice. Even when it comes to, you know, we passed a voucher bill last year that gives millions and millions of dollars to private schools when, you know, they have no accountability. Uh, They don't have to provide special education resources. So, you know, we struggle even more and you understand where I'm going with this, but um, hard to feel like anyone cares because they don't care about funding us you know, it just, it doesn't feel like, it feels like it falls on deaf ears. And I feel like you probably have experienced that quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, Florida, Iowa, Texas, like there are a couple of states that all seem to be the same, unfortunately, you know, with all of the changes to education policy legislation here, there's also permitless carry yeah, that, that passed, passed for us in 2021. And the bill that passed raising the legal purchase age of a firearm in Florida now is looking to be overturned and put back down to 18. Not only was there the shooting at my school, but Pulse Nightclub, which is three hours north of where we are, plus all of the community gun violence, domestic violence, suicide, like all of these things make up gun violence. And to potentially pass these laws or even suggest at changing these things is so absurd to me because two major mass shootings in my state, you in Iowa have had the shooting outside of your school, the recent shooting at Perry, I'm sure dozens of others throughout the state. Like, hello? Everything just seems to fall on deaf ears, which is so terrible because the people who are being hurt and the people who are really being impacted by these decisions are those of us in schools who deal with not only school shootings, but all of this outside community gun violence that, you know, we experience in our own neighborhoods or that our students experience and bring in with them to school, this baggage. It's not okay. I I know we talked about it before we started recording, um, but a friend of mine, Caitlin Haynes, not the Caitlin Haynes, you know, <laughs> as we found out, um, <laughs> I spoke with her and recorded an episode with her. She also lives in Iowa. She's in Davenport, but she sent me this article that came out on January 25th, Iowa school to have armed staff members, including teachers. And this is coming out of Sioux city in a a small school. It seems like, you know, the fact that the idea is even being considered to arm teachers and to put more guns in schools, right? Just seems It doesn't seem. It is so, so incredibly stupid. And I know I've talked about it on the show before, and I'm sure if you have watched clips of me online, you have seen this. But like a week or so after the shooting, I was on CNN opposite the sheriff from Ohio 
And it was like the day that Trump suggested arming teachers, like he was sitting in the White House surrounded by a bunch of yes men and like, let's arm teachers. And so I was on CNN opposite the sheriff and he was like, we need to arm teachers. We need to keep school safe, blah, blah, blah. And I, st- I stood there doing this live hit and I'm staring at this like camera, not even seeing who I'm on, like yeah. opposite. And I'm sure if you look up the clip, and I know I've said this before, it's like probably like angry teacher talks about guns. Like the, I just look- <laughs> Of course, because like you're angry. Because of course, you want the still they have of me, I'm like making like a weird frowny face. Yeah. Because, you know, of course, they have to pick the most attractive picture of you. And like, I just as diplomatically as I could, I just went in on this guy. I'm like, please tell me what a handgun would have done with this kid with an AR-15 on my campus. What would a handgun have done by a teacher on your campus outside with nine, 10 kids shooting at your school from cars. Like, Mm -hmm. honestly, what is arming a teacher going to do? It's adding more guns to campus. It's making everyone live in this false sense of security. Students of color feeling less safe because there are more guns on campus. What if a student gets my gun? What if I shoot the wrong person? Who's paying for this? Who's training me? Why can't that money be used instead to put more school or campus monitors or SROs or give me a raise or like whatever? Like it just is so incredibly preposterous to me. And as a parent of now two high school age children, I would not feel safe knowing that my kids were in a classroom where the teacher was armed. Absolutely. And like- I know my coworkers and I've worked with them for a while and I would not trust any of us, myself included, with a gun. No, you know, like I think I was a first year teacher when Sandy Hook happened and Sandy Hook hit me hard. Like I just I would just watch clips and just sob just sob because, you know, you think about your own classroom, you think about your students, think about, you know, this story about how this teacher just put all the kids in the closet and just kept telling them that she loved them because she wanted that to be the last thing they heard if they were killed, like still talking about it, like makes me emotional. Just like it's absurd, you know, that, that we had something like that happen and we had a democratic president at the time and we still couldn't make any change. And so like, for me, it's just, it feels defeating. Like, and, and, and we've just gotten worse since, right? Like things just keep getting worse. So it's like, it feels impossible. And, you know, me personally, I clearly, as I told you earlier, you know, both of my parents have passed away within the last you know two years. I became a first time mom. It just feels like I should be able to go to work and do my job and not have to worry. Um, So it's like all these other people that make these laws um, that are so much smarter than I am. You know, why can't we figure out a way where teachers can just go to school, do their job and not have to worry about being a hero? So the building is still up at my school. Yes. Why? I wish I could answer that question. They said it needed to stay up until the shooter's trial was over. 
which is over. Then they said it needed to stay up until another trial was over. And now that's over. And we keep waiting for the building to come down. And they've had several instances where like the building has been opened up for certain groups of people to go like the families of the victims could walk through. And some of us got to walk through the building, the teachers who were not in the building, but were teachers and faculty that day, you know, they opened it up for us if we wanted to. I mean, is it cleaned like, or is it just still a crime scene? It isn't clean, but it looks like a crime scene. And it was horribly horrible and sad and exactly what you would think it looked like. But since I was in that teacher group that went in in October, there have been several groups that have come through with lawmakers from Washington, D.C. The most recent visit had Miguel Cardona, who I've had the pleasure to meet. He's the U.S. Secretary of Education. Like, it's great that all of these people are coming through. And I hope that with all of them seeing this, it will bring about change. But at the same time, at least for me, it makes me feel like we're some kind of like sideshow circus act. I was just going to say that. And it's infuriating because nothing has happened since Sandy Hook. Nothing has really happened since my school. And the thing that did happen in the state, now they're trying to overturn it. And I know now there's a White House Office of Gun Violence Prevention. Yeah. And that's wonderful. Yeah. And they're talking about, you know, all of these things But until enough laws are passed and until enough things are done that we can go to school and feel safe doing our jobs, you know, we just keep running on this hamster wheel, which is crazy. I was teaching. My son was in first grade when Sandy Hook happened. I was 19 when Columbine happened. I remember. As I've said, I live three hours from Pulse. I have been- Uvalde? Oh my God, that hit me I cried Yep. every time they showed footage of it. Mm-hmm. I just sobbed. I just stopped where I was and I just sobbed. I, I mean, th- that's where, that's what I'm saying. Like if these, these have been horrible, if these are not enough to convince people that change needs to happen, what is enough? They were saying that some of the kids who, well, they were kids at the time. Now they're adults. But some of the kids at my school who were in the forefront of everything were crisis actors. Oh, I know. Isn't that crazy? And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like I make the yearbook. These people are definitely like, I see them in the hallway. Like this is absurd, but it's the conspiracy theorists and all of that. And that continues to spin this cycle of disinformation And that is in part why we are where we are, because people who believe these conspiracies vote for people who don't want to make these changes. And, you know, I know that while Des Moines is not, again, not a small town, a couple miles out, it's rural farmland and cornfields. So 
what is it like talking about gun violence or gun reform in that part of the country? Luckily for me, I'm in the Des Moines bubble. The people I work with, the people I am friends with, we all agree. So we're able to have these candid conversations and our group messages just blow up after things like this happen with, you know, it's the same thing. You know, we talk about thoughts and prayers. Nothing else is going to happen. Wait till the next time. It's going to be the same news cycle over and over again. Like we're used to it. It's like we've become numb to it. We really have like as a society, like, oh, it's another school shooting like that. How sick is that? Right. So for me. I feel that talking, having these conversations is very easy because the people that I'm around, we're in agreement, right? Um, I'm friends with educators. I'm friends with people who I grew up with who have the same values as I do. You know, now our governor, your governor and my governor are best friends, right? Of course they are. So, you know, I, there are a lot of people in Iowa who don't feel like any changes need to be made. You know, they really want to make sure that they don't lose the right to have their gun with them. And just like you said, you know, Iowa became a constitutional carry state on July 1st of 2021, which was before the shooting, but the shooting at ease, but not before these other shootings. So it's, it's just like, you know, our state clearly does not feel that gun violence is a problem or else they would do more, not do less right. <laughs> um, by have, you know, passing laws like this. So the people in my circle agree with that. And so for me, it, it you know, it doesn't ever really come up otherwise. It's important to surround yourself <laughs> with people who don't stress you out and who lift you up. Common, and, but it's like common sense. Like the of people course, that, well, I, that I spend time, you know, and they're educators. And you my know. mom always said that common sense isn't so common, which is unfortunate, but at mm-hmm. least you and I, we are both in our circles with people who have similar ideologies. And I hopefully it all works itself out at the ballot box so that we can have lawmakers who will enact the change that we need. I know you already mentioned Perry. You had said, I think before we started recording, it's about 45 minutes from where you are. So how did that impact your community and students and, and everything? Anytime that there is a school shooting, my students like immediately want to come in and like talk about it. And I think it makes them feel uneasy. My publication students immediately want to like write about it, which is like maybe how they're coping. You know, for me, I got a text from my brother that morning and he was like, are you okay? And immediately I was like, what? He's like, oh, my girlfriend just heard that there was a shooting in Des Moines Cause you know, the disinformation starts, right. flying, you know, and I was like, no, like we're fine here at East. And I hadn't even heard about it yet. Cause you know, when you're teaching, you don't, you, you can't be checking Twitter. Of course. Um, but then as soon as I got on, you know, students started coming in. Did you hear what's going on? Did you hear what's going on? And so it, it does bring back, you know, these triggering memories of what it's like to be the school that this happens to. I've been thinking they went back to school yesterday. The high school did. Um, They said on the news and I have just been thinking about them constantly. Um, You know, how do you work back into normal? 
Like, how do you get these kids back to thinking about academics? Like, I mean, you can't, you have to, you have to get through all the other stuff first because it's never going to be the same for those kids, you know, and those teachers. And um, especially since their principal was also killed, like the person who led their school for 30 years, like there's just so many layers that people just don't even think about. Um, And like, as a teacher, you're nervous to go back because you're like, you know, am am I going, going to be emotionally ready enough to handle this? Like, what if I cry in front of my students? Like no one tells you how to do that when you're in college. I lost um, a student in a car crash in 2019, 2019, it's like right before COVID. And um, I just remember like sobbing in front of my class and they were sobbing and it's like no one ever. And I literally said to them, like, no one ever taught me how to do this. Like, I don't know how, how to do this. And, you know, that's tough. And, mm-hmm. and I think those teachers this week are going through that um, where they I hope they're just being honest with their students and vulnerable with them. And just I don't know how how to deal with this. And we're going to do it together. And that's really all they can do. That's what we did when we went back, because yeah. we were all in the same boat and If there was learning happening on campus, it was not in my classroom. I'll tell you that right now. And it was a lot of hugging and crying and talking and listening and coloring and social emotional learning and beanbag chairs and all of that. And that's what the kids needed, but Mm -hmm. that's what we needed. Kind of brings me to my next question. How have you cared for yourself and your mental health since going through what you went through on campus? Yeah, I think the timing is just so wild because it kind of felt like things were getting back to normal after COVID. Like if you were not a teacher before COVID, it's like hard to describe how things have changed. I talk about myself as like 2019 Natalie, as like she's a different person than 2024 Natalie. Like we are completely different people. So I feel like... I was still trying to recover from COVID when this happened. And I think just in general, always trying to remember that like, I have to think about my family, you know, with every choice that I make that I'm now someone's mom, I owe it to my daughter to like always be safe and to make sure that I'm prioritizing like time with family, not coming home and working three hours every night, which is something I absolutely was doing in 2019 before COVID. And I I just think honestly with my parents dying, it's overshadowed every other thing in my life. And the grief is just so immense. And honestly, like school has been like the escape from that. Um, I am so blessed to have a job that I love. Honestly, like going to school is, is a break from my grief and something I shared with my parents. So I'm trying to really like have fun at work and not sweat the small stuff. And, and that to me is self-care, um, enjoying every moment and not getting hung up on things that I maybe would have gotten hung up on before, because it doesn't matter. I think just always remembering that if you're not looking out for yourself, no one else is going to look out for you. You know, relationships have always been at the forefront of me as a teacher, but it's it's just become more so within the last couple of years. Have you sought counseling? Uh, yes, not for the shooting. I okay. um, I started therapy um, after my parents passed away. My parents passed away within six months of each other. Oh, God. Um, and I had a, you know, my daughter was 
so my dad got sick a week before I had my daughter and he never left the hospital. So my Mm -hmm. first month of motherhood, I was on my own. My dad had an infection that was contagious. So my mom couldn't see, we couldn't go visit. My mom couldn't see us because she was with my dad and my family was just struggling with my dad's illness. So I was kind of like, here's a baby and your family is not available. And I was living two hours away. So um, then my dad passed about a month after my daughter was born. And then my mom died the day after Christmas that same year. Oh, God. Unexpectedly. Wow. Um, I called 911. And 20 minutes later, she was uh, in the back of the ambulance unresponsive and never came back. So, um, yeah, for me, like so much is over. Like, <laughs> is it this that caused it? Is it this? Is it COVID? Is it, you know, witnessing my students go through this really tough time? Is it the shoe didn't have an ace? Is it the, you know, being a new mom, you know? So, um, I definitely started therapy after my parents died and, um, but you know, I should have done it before now that you're in it. And, you know, now once you begin therapy, it's so easy to see how much you've been needing it. And I don't think it matters so much like when you start or like what the reason is that brought you there. Because for you, at least, like you had everything in the world happen in 2022. So whether it was the shooting, whether it was having a baby, losing your parents, like, any one of those things would be enough to send that's, someone that's what to my therapist therapy. Tells me. It's true. <laughs> yes. It's so important to go, but especially for people who have been through loss and trauma and huge life changes, you know, it's even more important. And I'm glad that you have not only found your way to therapy, and clearly I hope you like you. your therapist, Um, you know, but that it's something that you feel is beneficial and is helping you to be a better mom and to be a better teacher and a more present version of yourself. We do this thing in my classroom called Shout Out Friday. We start every class every Friday with people writing shout outs to each other or the class in general. And then you put it in the box and the editors read it. We do like a drum roll. It's like a whole thing. Um, and kids love it. We've been doing it oh God, for like five or six years. And um, I got a shout out last week from a student that said like, thank you for always being so positive. Those are when you're a teacher, it's like, you have so many other things going on besides like your classroom. I was very open with my students, like, and my students knew how important my parents were to me. And I was honest with them about my struggles. Um, And they were devastated when my mom died. Like they sent me messages like, Miss Niemeyer, you have to like, you're joking. Like this did not happen. Like, we are so sorry. Like they were just the best because they are the best. Like there's nothing like teenagers. And if you don't like teenagers, like I don't like you because teenagers (laughs) are the best, but I was open with them. You know, uh, the, the rest of last school year, um, I would do therapy during planning. 
I mean, I was just really in survival mode. Um, and my, my admin team was so supportive and I'd say to my students like, all right, you got to go. I have a meeting during plan. They're like, okay, we know you have therapy. And I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. But you got to get out, you know? And they're like, I have it later too. So I think it has brought me closer to some of my students who are also in therapy. Like, um, they'll like share things with me that happened in therapy. And I obviously don't reciprocate that. Um, but I, I always thought I'm, I really appreciate that you shared that. Like, it sounds like this is going really well for you. So I think the vulnerability, like once you're able to be vulnerable with your students about things, I think it just opens up a whole nother connection that you would have never had with them. And especially, you know, if you go through something like a shooting with them, like those are unfortunate bonds that will probably never be broken or replicated in any way. You just, you can't, that's just a one-time thing. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow Teachers Unified to End Gun Violence on Instagram and threads at Teachers Unify and follow the podcast on both platforms at Teachers Unify PC. Thank you.